We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Aaron Rodgers looking for Devontae Adams. He's got it! DJ Moore has a pass to the end zone. Jonathan Taylor. Touchdown. Hello everyone, welcome back to Road of His Overtime on Road of His Radio, brought to you by Blue Wire. My name is Colin Kelly, you can follow me on Twitter, at Overtime Ireland, and I am joined as always by my co-host here on the show, it is Sean Siegel of RoadOfHis.com. We did have Matt Hicks on our show earlier this week on the Thursday edition, where we did talk wide receiver and tight end. Matt is back today, I'm happy to say, and we're going to be talking quarterback and running back on today's show. So we're covering all the skill positions, basically, of the upcoming NFL draft, and this is obviously post-combine. So looking forward to diving in the show on Thursday. It was fantastic, Matt. Brought a lot of good information there. Head on back and check that one out after today's one, if you haven't already listened in. If you have listened in, thank you very much for doing so. Of course, I have promoted it on the last couple of shows, but head on over and check out the Rotoviz YouTube channel. Some of these clips will be going up as video format you can check them out over there and and the link to that will be in today's show notes but as i mentioned matt hicks back on the show you can follow him on twitter at the ff underscore educator great to have him back in we are going to jump straight into the quarterback position and you know this quarterback group is is talked about as being a potentially weak class there's there is some depth that most of the top guys you know it's based around mobility uh, being one of their top skill sets so what are some of your thoughts on this group? And I'll, I'll jump in and I'll hit straight on it. I'll not beat around the bush. Do you think this is a weak group? Yeah, that's a good question. I like to use the term weaker uh, because I, I think that folks do get a little bit caught up in how good the quarterback classes have been over the last couple of years, right? So I do think that this is a relatively weaker class, but there's going to be at least one quarterback, potentially three or four, that do hit out of this class. I do feel confident saying that there will be quarterbacks who hit out of this class, but it's so difficult to evaluate the quarterback position. And so the context that I like to put it in here is right now my top four guys, Matt Corral, Malik Willis, Sam Howell, and Kenny Pickett, are all in a very close tier. And if you compare them to last year's class, that would have been the tier that I would have put Zach Wilson in. And Zach Wilson was kind of uh, at a tier in in that second tier of quarterbacks for me last year. And so where Zach Wilson, I thought, had a lot of upside, but also came with a lot of risk, I think that's where we find our top quarterbacks in this year's class as well. So Matt, you mentioned that that group, and so that answers this question already kind of – uh, at least big picture, but Malik Willis, he's supposedly wowed with his arm strength. He's got the dual threat ability and you know, looks good at the combine continues to rise and rise. I mean, I start to get the vibe that some NFL decision makers 
are now thinking he could be better than Trey Lance. Now that's within the context of Lance not winning the job immediately as a rookie. And maybe there are even some questions now about year two. Willis also somebody who might, you know, be a comparison to Kyler Murray, who has been a good reality quarterback, a fantastic fantasy quarterback, but maybe still is developing as a passer. Is Willis somebody who could be thrown into that conversation? And is he the clear number one pick right now if, if the draft were to happen today? Number one pick out of the quarterbacks. Yeah, yeah. No, it's really interesting, this this quarterback class. And Malik Willis in particular seems to be a really, really interesting case study, right? You look at Malik Willis, and he really is, for all intents and purposes, a raw quarterback, which is, a good, I think, a good you know comparison in terms of Trey Lance's rawness that when he came out. Here's the difference, though. Trey Lance did his minimum time in college, right? He had one year as a starter, uh, and then he came right to the NFL, came to the NFL relatively young. Malik Willis has had a journey. He started off at Auburn, high four-star recruit. So that's the difference. You know, Malik Willis, I know he ended up at Liberty. This was a guy with a high recruiting pedigree at a college. Ends up losing the job to Bo Nix. Uh, and for people who follow college football, I know that turns them off right away. You have to realize Bo Nix was a five-star legacy recruit for Auburn. It was going to be hard to beat out Bo Nix for that job. Malik Willis ends up transferring to Liberty. And here's why he's still raw. Malik Willis behind that offensive line at Liberty with less than excellent coaching, right? Really, all they asked him to do was just use his physical tools and hope for the best. And that's what he did at Liberty for two years. You know, he played a little what I call huck and chuck at football. He ran around, he threw the ball deep. And guess what, guys? It worked. They won a lot of games last year, right? And the year before. So, you know, Malik Willis did what he was asked to do, um, and he showed off his physical tools. Now, in the NFL, he's got to hone those mechanics, but that's coachable. You could even see at the Senior Bowl, his mechanics looked a little honed in, which I know you could say, all right, that's not a game situation. You know, that's not really, you know, showing anything. But what that says to me is that when he focuses on it and, and, and has the ability to get coached up, which he absolutely will at the next level, then those physical tools can end up getting honed in uh, and he can end up being a, a high ceiling quarterback. The further we go on in this NFL draft process, you know, right to your point, Sean, I think he will end up being the first quarterback taken off the board in the NFL draft. If you asked me a month ago, I would not have thought that. But based on what I'm hearing from the way NFL teams are reacting to him through the Senior Bowl and through the Combine, we heard that he had great interviews at the Combine. Folks feel like he has a high football IQ, which of course is really important for the quarterback position. And so... And here's the bottom line. I, I know I'm, I'm, this is a little long-winded, but I, I want to emphasize this point. Every NFL head coach and offensive coordinator and quarterback coach thinks that they can fix the quarterback, right? And so that level of ego, when you see the tools there, I think an NFL team is going to go in on him. And you as a fantasy football player, me as a fantasy football player, my, my motto is to go for upside, right? It's so hard to hit on quarterbacks. If you're going to hit, you might as well hit big. And Willis has that ability to hit big. Well, speaking of hitting big, uh, you, you mentioned this a little bit in our wide receiver section when you were talking about Alec Pierce. But we have someone in Desmond Ritter who stole the show at the Combine and the drills. He impresses with his speed. He's got the big hands. Uh, someone who perhaps you would have liked more production from you know early in his college career and maybe even more elite production at the end even though obviously the team very successful in that final season you just placed him outside of your top tier is, is he a threat to get into that first round is he a threat to 
uh, have some NFL team reach on him, even though he's not a top tier quarterback and maybe even be the second quarterback from this group? Or are we still kind of in this section where he, he's clearly in the next wave? Yeah, you know, when it comes to draft capital, and I guess it's a little timely with all the Green Bay news, but I've I've established personally what I call the Jordan Love rule, which is if Jordan Love can go in the first round, any quarterback can go in the first round, right? So I won't rule it out. I don't think Desmond Ritter is a first-round quarterback, um, especially if, you know, the, the quarterbacks get pushed back in terms of draft order. Um, but he could go in the first round. You know, I've, I've seen some situations where folks like him. I think early second round is probably a little bit more realistic, really hoping my Giants do not take him. Um, but, you know, here's the thing with Desmond Ritter. I have ridden the Desmond Ritter roller coaster because I, there's been times where I'm like, yeah, man, I get it. Look at this arm. Look at this rushing ability, right? Like, I get it. I'm in. And then you, if you, once you consistently watch Desmond Ritter tape, there's just so many bad throws. And it's not just inaccuracy on difficult throws, it's inaccuracy on easy throws. It's the inability to hit your guys outside of the numbers. And Desmond Ritter, we just talked about Malik Willis, raw, right? Desmond Ritter has been starting for Cincinnati for four years. Luke Fickle has an excellent coaching staff there. I think we've seen what we're going to see out of Desmond Ritter. And one thing I like to really draw a uh, kind of, uh, uh, you know, kind of line at for some folks. And because I'm somebody who, you know, very much advocates for look at rushing ability with quarterback prospects, right? That's huge. Desmond Ritter uh, doesn't necessarily have athleticism when he's running the ball. He has mobility. Uh, and I don't think that mobility is going to translate to the next level. He ran a decent, uh, or, I'm sorry, he ran a good 40 time at the combine, but he doesn't run in a straight line. If you watch when he plays in college, uh, that vision isn't there. He doesn't really have a feel for where to go when running the ball. He can execute some design runs for the Bearcats. That might be helpful uh, in the red zone at the NFL level, but it's not going to be a, a, a real, I think, benefit for his fantasy football potentials. So Desmond Ritter for me is quarterback six. And I think it's a little bit of I, I've been there, I, I bought in, and then I've I've really just forced myself to back out. So and there's there's never, you know, I never say never to a prospect. The price can always get low enough for me to be interested, but it's going to have to get pretty low. And I don't want to bring the tone down again, but, you know, we're going to talk about somebody who some of the external factors may not be as popular in terms of Kenny Pickett age obviously and being older being a factor just you know been a one-year wonder and then we put in the factor of the small hands as well so he is somebody who might fit into the you know prototype of a pocket passer heading into the nfl which weaknesses of his for you are a concern and do you think he still makes it in as a, a top 15 pick uh, are we still looking for that prototypical pocket passer of these prospects heading into the nfl you know when we're talking about that mo mobility aspect yeah, you know, it's it's so funny. I when I went into watching Kenny Pickett tape, I try as hard as I can to, you know, come in with a neutral, you know, blank slate. But I went into Kenny Pickett tape like I'm not going to like this guy. You know what I mean? Like it took him forever to break out. He's kind of boring. I liked it. I I came away from my tape evaluation really impressed. There's not you know, I, I think it's difficult sometimes when a player doesn't do anything at an elite level, but Kenny Pickett doesn't have a lot of holes in his game. He does everything 
uh, at a really good level, which is going to give him, I think, a, a decent floor in the NFL. We're looking for ceiling when it comes to, to quarterbacks in fantasy football, though, right? But if you look at Kenny Pickett, he's an impressive passer for me. Not a lot of quarterback prospects can hit consistently at all three levels of the field. Kenny Pickett has, is accurate at all three levels of the field, and he understands how to adjust his velocity and how to squeeze balls into tight windows. Um, in, in the short and midfield, and he understands how to lead his receivers downfield in the deep field. And so I really like that about Kenny Pickett. I think he has solid mechanics. He's got a good throwing motion. Uh, he's not the quickest release, but he has really good footwork. It's not a slow release, right? So it's a very fluid motion. Again, it's one of these situations. It's good. It's not amazing. And when you look at Kenny Pickett's mobility, what I really like about his mobility in particular, you mentioned, yeah, he's not necessarily going to chew it up on the ground uh, you know, in terms of statistics, but Kenny Pickett understands how to move a pocket and he doesn't lose accuracy when throwing on the run. And so he can throw off balance pretty well. You know, we're not talking about Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson, but he can throw, you know, uh, you know, off balance. And I think that's something we've seen in today's NFL is a really helpful tool. You can kind of improvise those arm angles. Um, and so Kenny Pickett has a little bit of versatility when it comes to that. It's so hard to read what the NFL is going to do with him. Two months ago, before we really started to lean into these hand size concerns and before some of these other quarterbacks you know, uh, started rising, I thought Kenny Pickett was a lock to be the first quarterback off the board. You know, I was looking at Carolina at six, Giants at seven, something along those lines. And now I'm, I'm, you know, a little bit less bullish on that. I, I haven't projected in that 10 to 20 range still. Uh, so kind of exactly what you noted. We'll see, you know, we'll, we'll see which NFL teams end up wanting a quarterback and who leans into this quarterback frenzy that we're in the middle of now. Well, Matt Corral is sort of the next guy that we think about here. And he's interesting because he also seems to have such a wide range of outcomes. So it's not just that this is an interesting class because of the perceived weakness in the depth, but we really don't know. It's not just this element of, okay, they have a, a low ceiling. We're not really looking at it that way. They have a high ceiling, but also a really low floor. What do we need to know about him? Is he big enough? You mentioned with Ritter that the athleticism didn't actually translate into the type of rushing plays that fantasy managers might like. Does he have that element to his game? Do you like his arm strength? And is there anything to the fact that he didn't do as much at the combine and, and didn't really want to go and compete there? Yeah, you know, Mackerel is a really interesting prospect. I think he did end up coming in at 6'1", 6'1 and a half, if I'm remembering correctly, which was pretty good. I thought I didn't I wasn't sure he was gonna hit 6'1. Uh, you know, certainly has the weight behind him. He's a really exciting player for me. I, I see a big arm in college, uh, somebody who still has a lot of time to develop, and he really executed uh, Lane Kiffin's kind of, you know, quasi-air raid type offense there at Ole Miss, right? So we got a lot of volume uh, through the air and on the ground. You know, he is somebody who's a little bit more physical of a runner as opposed to necessarily, you know, an athletic runner. So if you're thinking about the way that he may run the ball, it's probably going to be, uh, a little bit more towards Josh Allen. Josh Allen is bigger, so I don't want to draw a direct comp there, but kind of in the way that Josh Allen would approach running the ball as a quarterback, still very mobile, still effective, and still can churn yards on the ground, but he's not going to be you know, zipping around like Kyler Murray necessarily, right? But he does have that dual threat ability. Here's the thing that, I, that I'm trying to you know, kind of get across when it comes to Matt Corral. I think he has really good mechanics, and he's comfortable in the pocket. He has good footwork. He has a great throwing motion, very quick release. Um, but 
Um, you know, and, and uh, to go along with the arm talent, sorry. Uh, in when you match that with arm talent in his mental processing ability, Matt Corral read the field very well at Ole Miss for being, you know, really in his first full year as a starter. I thought he executed, and it was only the second year of that offensive scheme, too. I thought he executed the offense really well. And so Matt Corral to me projects as a game manager at the next level. And I know for a lot of folks that's like, ooh, I'm uninterested in that. I don't like that term, right? A game manager in the NFL can be really good, right? You put him in the right offense with weapons around him, and he can absolutely distribute. So the uh, you know, the example I'm, I'm you know I've been giving is you know, you put Matt Corral at the at the helm of the Pittsburgh offense. Like if you just got to distribute the ball to Deontay Johnson and Pat Fairmuth and dump it to Najee Harris, you're going to end up with a lot of fantasy points in the long run, right? And so some of these guys, the the landing spot is going to be even more critical for than others. And I think if we can project Matt Corral into a high-volume offense and one that he's going to have the opportunity to, to find the end zone, especially with some good playmakers around him, uh, then he can end up being the quarterback one in this class if I – you know, if you gave me, uh, you know, hundred bucks to bet, you know, right now, it, it would be Matt Corral to be quarterback one in the class. He's currently atop my rankings. Obviously, a lot can change though, but he's got that upside with a good level of floor to him as well. You mentioned he's your top quarterback. Do you think that he is the first quarterback off the board? You know, I, I think he certainly can be. I, one of the things that I haven't been able to feel out quite yet. A lot of folks were saying that Matt Corral's biggest, and this actually uh, goes back to a point too that I don't think I actually hit on from the last question, which is, you know, what happened with Matt Corral at the combine, right? Matt Corral's biggest thing going into the combine was actually going to be his interviews with teams. Uh, there were some question marks in terms of his background. You know, I don't want to speculate, but there were, you know, concerns about, you know, uh, like like getting into fights in high school. I guess he got into a fight with Wayne Gretzky's kid and, you know, some other potential off the field uh, kind of issues. And so a lot of those question marks were going to be when he sat down in front of NFL teams. Did they see him as a stable leader of their offense? Right. He's a competitor. There is no doubt about his competitiveness. Old Miss against Tennessee last year. Matt Corral ran the ball 30 times, 30 plus times in that game. Got, you know, absolutely beat to the ground, but it was a tight game and he le- ended up leading Old Miss uh, to the finish line there. And so you know he's competitive, you know he's tough. I think NFL teams believe that. It's going to be a matter of does he check out with the teams that are looking to draft quarterback, right? It's so tricky sometimes with the quarterback position. Uh, you know, a team could love you at nine right now. Seattle's sitting at nine. I thought Matt Corral could have been really good with Denver before the Russell Wilson trade. Now, does Seattle want him, you know, and, and have the ability to put him at the helm of their offense and develop him up a little bit? You know, maybe DK Metcalf will be there in a couple of months. Maybe he won't, you know, or, you know, if they pass on him, maybe he slides, right? Because we're hearing Pittsburgh likes Malik Willis. And so uh, with the quarterbacks, especially, it's a lot of who do we like, who fits our offense. And so, uh, it, it's it's a little bit of a cop-out answer, but he could be the first quarterback off the board. He could be the third. I'm really not sure. And another one of the quarterbacks that's, you know, sounds like he's going to be a bit later off the board. We'll get your thoughts on it. But Sam Howell looks to have one of the most well-rounded profiles heading into this class, but seems to be getting mocked quite rarely in the, the first round. So what do you think his NFL ceiling is? And do you think he is somebody who does slip out of the first round? And if he does, how late is he going to, to go? Yeah, Sam Howell is so interesting, man. I mean, this was somebody who broke out as a true freshman, was absolutely fantastic. We loved him. 
And then he was just like solid the rest of the time, right? Like he had a gr- a good 2021 or a good 2020, I should say. Then he lost all of his playmakers in 2021, uh, lost his entire offensive line, lost uh, Diami Brown, Daz Newsome, Javante Williams, Michael Carter. And then all of a sudden, Sam Howell's mental processing, his decision-making, it totally went out the window this past year. So I think a lot of NFL teams are seeing a tale of two quarterbacks here with Sam Howell. He's got a big arm. You know, he's physical. Uh, he can run the ball as well uh, to a degree, kind of maybe in terms of, you know, a guy that can get five or six rushing touchdowns a year. Um, you know, if you look at his mechanics, they're really solid mechanics. He's got a fluid throwing motion. You know, he's got good footwork inside the pocket. He's relatively comfortable uh, in the pocket at times, especially this year. He looked a little bit less comfortable in the pocket as that offensive line kind of collapsed around him. But there's a lot of good in Sam Howell's tape, too. Uh, sometimes, though, you just got to trust what you're seeing from the NFL. And, and we are not hearing a lot of hype from Sam Howell. So I don't know if there's concerns behind the scenes. I don't know if the mental processing uh, might be a concern with football IQ and being able to really kind of understand what's going on. We've seen that absolutely, you know, stop the development of, of NFL quarterbacks before if they really can't get a grasp and, you know, that that term of slow the football game down, right? It seemed like that game was going really fast for Sam Howell in his third year of college. That's not a good sign. Hey, Rotoviz fans, this is Dave Cabin from the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Podcast, taking a minute to let you know that as a loyal Rotoviz listener, you can get 10% off a one year subscription when you use the promo code RVRADIO2022 at checkout. It gives you full access to all of our content and tools. And again, that's RVRADIO2022 at checkout for 10% off a one year Rotoviz subscription. Enjoy the podcast. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Jumping into running backs, um, we're we're looking at a class here where maybe a little bit top heavy, but somebody who is coming in has looked really good, has had a really strong combine is Brees Hall. Obviously, the last couple of years, the kind of best prospects coming under guys like Jonathan Taylor, DeAndre Swift, and and last year we had Najee Harris. Um, with the combine that Halls after putting in where does he fit for you with those sort of prospects that have come in yeah you know Brees Hall is really interesting to me I think folks have gotten uh really excited about Brees Hall over the last couple weeks I'm not sure if folks are excited about Brees Hall or they're not excited about Isaiah Spiller or Kenneth Walker right it almost feels like Brees Hall is running back one by default um, and it kind of feels Josh Jacoby to me, you know, like when Josh Jacobs was the running back one, just because he was the running back one, like he's who was there. 
Uh, it kind of feels a similar way. I like Brees Hall. He's patient. He's an effective one-cut runner. He can explode through space that's created for him. You know, he's a pretty athletic back that runs well off tackle as well as, you know, through the A-gap. He's got a nice jump step. He can glide around the field. Super productive in college. You know, four years of really good production there for Iowa State. Or, I'm sorry, three years of really good production there for Iowa State. And so he's got solid tape. He's good. You know, I think when it comes to Brees Hall, I don't love his strength or contact balance for his size. I think he should play more physical and should play bigger, especially against Big 12 defenders. It looked like he avoided physicality and contact at times. Doesn't really display great contact balance, which is something that I really like in my prospects coming out. And so I do have some concerns with Brees Hall. I also think his vision can be really inconsistent. And so this is a guy, right, who his offensive line is going to be really important. If he ends up in a bottom, you know, third tier offensive line unit and running behind them, I'm going to totally pivot off of him. I'm not going to be interested. But if he lands behind a top offensive line unit, then I'm going to be less concerned about the vision, right? Because uh, it can get offset a little bit. And so Brees Hall for me, I think he's a good prospect. He's coming in at running back two for me right now in a really tight tier at the top with Spiller and Walker there as well. Um, but, you know, if you compare it to last year's class, um, I had Najee Harris significantly, you know, a full tier, tier and a half above where I have Brees Hall right now. And so, you know, and you mentioned DeAndre Swift well above Brees Hall as well. And so where Najee Harris and DeAndre Swift were guys that I felt confident projecting as running back ones early in their career, I think Brees Hall is going to land in that running back two territory. And there, again, there's nothing wrong with that, right? I think it's just about managing expectations. Well, you mentioned some people liking him almost by default, and then you mentioned Walker and Spiller and kind of a, you know two different stories for them coming out of the combine. Walker runs the fast 40, and we know that uh, much more for running backs than for wide receivers, that's a strong indicator of the way they can translate to the NFL. Does that answer questions for you, or did you have questions about Walker? Anytime someone has this one-year wonder element, even if it's the last year and it was very, very good and they're still relatively young, that is something where there feels like there's more room to miss. And obviously fantasy managers aren't wanting to spend that first round pick and miss on a big running back. Yeah, I got to tell you, the 40 time for Kenneth Walker was huge for me because he doesn't necessarily play that fast on tape, right? There's certainly examples of downfield acceleration, but when you look at Kenneth Walker, he's a really physical running back. He's a high motor explosive back. He's always popped off the line of scrimmage, but I wasn't sure about that, you know, that second gear, you know, how he kind of runs in between 10 and 30 yards. That's what I was concerned about. And clearly he answered those questions at the combine, but he's not only fast, he's aggressive, he's physical. Uh, he has great contact balance. I just talked about, I really like that in running back prospects. Uh, and, and here's where I think Kenneth Walker can be really effective. He was fantastic in goal line situations for Michigan State. It was one of the reasons his stat box was overflowing. He had more than a touchdown a game this past year. It's because he's really effective at the goal line. And obviously that's something we love for fantasy football purposes, right? So if you are somebody who is physical, can bowl over Big, uh, big Ten defenders and you're not afraid to do it, and then at the same time you could post uh, you know, a top-tier 40 time at the position. You have great size then, you know, you really get to be, that's how you get to be my running back one. And that's where Kenneth Walker is right now. I will say, I think one of the biggest concerns for folks on Kenneth Walker is the pass catching ability, right? This is a lesson that I've really tried to emphasize over the last couple of years. Do not knock a prospect, especially a running back on something they're not asked to do. Kenneth Walker wasn't 
asked to catch the ball very often, but when he was, he caught the ball. He did well. He showed good handwork. He showed the ability to react to off-target passes. He even showed the ability to do some level of route running, right? If you're Michigan State and you're having Kenneth Walker chew up opposing defenses for 250 yards a game on the ground, you're not going to waste his energy dropping off screens to him, right? And so that's why Kenneth Walker wasn't targeted as high in the, in the passing game. It's because they didn't need him to be. Uh, so I, I know that's a question for some folks. I'm not concerned about it. All you really need uh, to, to push running back one territory for fantasy football is about 40 to 50 targets a season. And I think Kenneth Walker and the right offense can absolutely secure that. You mentioned the not being asked to catch the ball. The most recent that I've seen that get talked about quite regularly, and I'm a Packers fan, so maybe that's why I'm hearing it, but uh, A.J. Dillon obviously wasn't asked to catch the ball too much in college, and last year particularly he's shown that he's been able to add that element to his game. So um, we do see that. The other player that you mentioned there a couple of times is Isaiah Spiller. Obviously the injury, is that more of a non-story, obviously, as we you know head towards the draft, or is there concerns around the injury? I got to tell you, you know, it's it's one of these things I've learned over time, right? I, I, Isaiah Spiller, you know, in January was my running back one in this year's class. He slid down to running back three. I like his tape the best in terms of pure tape evaluation. I think Spiller is smooth. He's a methodical back. He has pops of excitement throughout his tape. Really good vision. I love his vision, right? I talked about that being really important for the running back position. He has clean footwork, good lateral movement. So there's a lot to like on his tape, not high-end speed. Um, and so even if he or if he runs the 40 at his pro day, if he's able to do that, um, it's probably not going to be, you know, as good as Brees Hall or Kenneth Walker's 40 time. But it's one of these things, right, where in the past I've just ignored it like, ah, that's kind of weird that he didn't run. Uh, they kind of keep pushing this off. Ah, whatever. It's fine. Trust the tape. But you kind of like learn over the years like, nah, there's probably something to that, right? Like if it smells funky, it's probably funky. And so I'm kind of just trying to proceed with a little bit of caution. He's still in the top tier, but he slid a little bit for me. And, it, you know, he goes and he puts together a good pro day workout. All right, cool. We're back on track. We're back at it. That's the thing. It's like rankings are so fluid this time of year. Everybody wants to know your top 10 at all times, right? That's a dangerous game to get into, right? It's because it changes around so much. So I'm, I'm still good with Spiller. I'm still in on Spiller, especially if he ends up going at a discount in rookie ADP, but proceeding with a little bit of caution. And I'd be lying to you if I told you that wasn't the case. And, and so you're saying that even if the story is true, though, and he did test with the kind of injury you obviously shouldn't have tested with at all in anything, uh, that he's still not going to be a plus athlete, more of a you know mediocre NFL athlete, which obviously compared to any normal human is amazing, but but not somebody who stands out at the NFL level. Yeah, you know, in terms of pure athleticism, I, I gave him, you know, a good evaluation for that in terms of what I think he's going to be asked to do, right? He has good uh, good footwork. I saw good lateral movement in tight space on his tape. You know, he has this sneaky slipperiness to him, which obviously is something you can't test for. And elusiveness is part of my athletic score, and he definitely is elusive in the way that he maneuvers around the field with fluidity and ease. So, you know, I didn't ever expect Isaiah Spiller to be somebody who goes and smashes the combine, right? It's just he's not Rashad White. He's not built that way, but he is an effective runner. And so, you know, I, I don't expect him even at his pro day to necessarily put up, you know, fantastic athletic testing numbers. He's somebody who the tape is going to drive a little bit more, um, which makes sense why his, you know, ADP might be a little bit lower right now. 
Well, you mentioned White, and obviously we've got some Rotoviz staffers who are very, very high on him and does bring that receiving element to the table, does bring that athletic element to the table. You know, maybe you could dream a little bit almost of a, a David Johnson-esque type of prospect. Not that he has quite that much size, but where do you see White? I, I think maybe the fantasy community has been higher. Now you see with the draft community, obviously the, the combine impresses. I mean, is he the clear number four guy or is he in a tier with a bunch of guys who could kind of take that mantle? Yeah, you know, I think Travis's ears are probably ringing right now. He's hearing us talk about Rashad White. Um, you know, he's a really electric prospect. He beats defenders with speed, athleticism, elusiveness. He closes space, I think, really, really well in the way that he gets around the field. I'm I'm a little – I'm not sold that he's a day two pick yet. I think he's going to be right on that border of day two, day three. And that's why Rashad White is still running back six for me right now with running backs four through eight being, you know, really interchangeable. And so, you know, he is really, you know, locked into that tier two for me. I understand. I mean, you know, uh, I should say four through eight is a lot of, you know, it's going to be my guys, right? You know, who are you about? I like Jerome Ford. He's in that. Uh, a lot of folks like Zamir White. He's in that tier, right? And, you know, a lot of folks like Rashad White. And so, you know, I always advocate for going after your guy. But at the end of the day, these guys in this second tier – they're going to end up getting ranked based on opportunity. I talked about, you know, in our first episode, a big chunk of my process is tape evaluation. But a, another significant piece of that is what I call my opportunity index, right? How are you actually going to translate into a projection sheet? How are you going to uh, translate over the next three years of the first three years of your NFL career, right? That's what I'm trying to play out. And landing spot, as much of a cop-out as it seems, is going to be the tiebreaker within a tight tier. So Rashad White could end up as high as running back four for me. Uh, he could end up probably as low as running back seven or eight, depending on where he ends up going in that range. But you're absolutely right. The upside is undeniable when it comes to him. And I don't think we've cracked the surface on him developing as a runner. One of my favorite things with running backs is the ability to obviously catch the ball. We, we touched on what they did on uh, a little moment ago, but who are some of your favorite kind of pass catching backs, maybe third down backs, uh, backs who maybe get in the ball in space to, to try and make some big plays? Is there anybody really standing out for you in this class and in, in that mold? Yeah, you know, Kyron Williams. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> he is a great pass catcher, but Kyron Williams broke my heart recently at the Combine. So, you know, digging a little bit deeper into some guys that could kind of I, I, you know, I'm going to I'm going to pull out a few names here who I think are really good guys that may be coming off the board in the third or fourth round of your rookie leagues. And, you know, those are guys, especially with pass catching ability that that make them good taxi squad stashes or bottom of the roster stashes. You know, you look at Tyler Beatty out of Mizzou. He absolutely tore it up on the ground. But he has good pass catching ability as well. Beatty came in and weighed in at 197, which was great. I thought he was going to come in smaller than that. Super productive at Mizzou. So certainly somebody I'm paying attention to. James Cook out of Georgia, uh, you know, really is a pass catching mold. Although if I hear one more person tell me that he's related to Dalvin Cook, I might just, you know, have to throw my headset across the room uh, whenever I'm listening to that. Uh, but really good pass catcher there. And he does have the ability to run it at the ground, but Georgia primarily used him in a pass catching type role. Uh, somebody I really like out of Ole Miss is Jerry and Ely. Folks forget Jerry and Ely was a five-star recruit, so he came with really good pedigree. I thought weighed in better than I expected. Uh, played injured for part of this 2021 season, but looked really good when he came back and was fully healthy. And then my deep sleeper who can catch the ball, Deshaun, Deshaun Corbin out of Florida State. 
super explosive, good pass catcher, great downfield acceleration. I think he's going to probably go free in rookie leagues unless you're in a five or six round draft, but somebody I really like, and I'm going to be trying to stash. And I think it might surprise folks when he goes in round four or five of the NFL draft. Well, the other sort of deep sleeper or a deep sleeper that now after the combine, everybody wants to know everything about you have Pierre strong, you have this athleticism that clearly would play at the NFL level. If the player brings that running back skill set. You have the crazy numbers against non-NFL competition. Where is he now? And is he an NFL type of runner beyond just what we know about his athleticism? Yeah, Pierre Pierre Strong is tough. Uh, Because, you know, I cannot, believe it or not, I can't find much South Dakota State tape. So I think what's really important for me when you have a player like Pierre Strong is you really have to see him in the context of the offense and to see what he was asked to do and how you can kind of pull that out and translate it to the next level. Honestly, man, right now, it, this is one of like the only players that I can't really speak to his tape evaluation, but I have him in this uh, this large tier three range right now. So I'm not buying in on him just based off of, you know, or I should say only based off combine numbers. Um, you know, once we get the tape evaluation in there, that'll be helpful. But also sometimes when there's these players, I'm really not sure what to do with. I've kind of picked up this tactic of listening to the NFL. And I know that sounds simple, but sometimes the NFL tells you, you know, what they think of a player. And if Pierre Strong goes top 100, then it's going to be more convincing that, that, you know, he can play outside of his, you know, FCS scheme or the level of competition. But, you know, you look at his teammate last year, I loved Kay Johnson. uh, And he ended up being an undrafted free agent, struggled because he, you know, couldn't adjust to that level of competition as quickly. So, you know, Pierre Strong probably ends up being a day three selection. And then I think he becomes a lot less interesting for folks. And then the other player sort of on the opposite end of the spectrum, but someone who has done very well against not maybe the very top competition, but solid competition there and offers a little bit what I would think of as your sort of David Montgomery, Zach Moss type of profile and obviously those two guys have gone different directions at the nfl level so we know even within that profile if it's in fact correct and so that's that's what i want to ask you about that you can go either way but tyler algier doesn't have the big numbers of the combine but his thesis or the thesis for him if you were looking to draft him either i think as an nfl reality gm or as a fantasy manager didn't really rely on that is is that the right way to look at it or you know, were you disappointed? Do you have him in a different spot now? Yeah, you know, Tyler Algier is a guy who I've kind of really wrestled with. Uh, you know, initially I was much lower than consensus on him. I watched his 2020 tape during the summer process. and I did not like it. I thought, you know, he didn't look explosive. I thought I had visions uh, or concerns with his visions. I thought it was really inconsistent. Um, and so then you know, I was kind of lower on him. I ended up going back and doing a 2021 tape of Al. And the 2021 tape was a lot better. You know, Tyler Algier, to me, looked like a better runner. He's a powerful back. You know, he really uh, displays good burst off the line of scrimmage. He's a downhill runner. He builds that momentum well with the, you know, building uh, you know, building as he moves downfield. Um, but you mentioned it. You can see on his tape, he's not athletic. I was not shocked by that 40 time. I expected him to run. Uh, relatively slow. Folks did not believe me when I mentioned that ahead of time, um, but you can kind of see it on his tape. You know, I think if you're an NFL team, you're hoping that he's a two down back that can smash in between the tackles, but 
when you when you when you lack that upside really to be either a three down back or have you know a big playability, NFL DBs are going to chase Tyler Algier down, right? So I'm not sure that he's getting bigger runs than 20 or 25 yards, even if he ends up with a wide open gap. So you're kind of relying on him to get a lot of goal line looks, a lot of red zone touches. I don't see a clear path to fantasy football success, at least not at the ADP that I think he's going to be taken at. Because I think even with a bad combine, folks are going to want to draft him in the second round of their rookie leagues. And I am not interested in that price. You know, I think he's much more of a third round selection, which is a little bit more in that dart throw territory. Now, if he ends up going in the second or third round of the NFL draft, then I'll probably change my tune. But I think after that combine, he dropped himself down in terms of draft capital. And, you know, if you're looking at a, a guy that goes round four or five that, you know, lacks high end upside uh, and speed and, and explosion, then that's not really something that I'm going to buy into in most years. Colin wants me to just leave you here with uh, just the one sort of bold prediction, quick take, yes or no. And, and then, you know, if you need a sentence, Obviously, that's fine. But Zemir White, back now to star level with this combine? I love Zemir White. Zemir White, I have been saying for over a year now, in terms of pure talent, pure rushing ability, is easily a top three back in this class, if not the best pure runner in the class, right? Excellent working in between the tackles. Dangerous combination of explosiveness and athleticism. Navigates effortlessly in between the tackles. Uh, sharp footwork and even sharper eye. I love his vision. For me, it's always been the injuries with Zamir White, right? I mean, we're talking about two ACL injuries, one in the end of high school, one early in his college career. That's bitten me in the past, all right? I've fallen for this before, or I've fallen in love with a great runner with knee injuries, right? And even if, you know, he, he hits early on in his NFL career, it might be shortened. So here's the thing. I want Zamir White to hit. I want him to be a top running back badly, right? And I need him to get that one top 100 draft capital. If he gets that top 100 draft capital, I'm going to throw it out the window. You know, all my concerns with injury, I'm like, if he can pass the NFL medicals, then he passes my medicals, right? But if he goes day three, then I can't I can't pay premium price for Zamir White. I just can't do it. But my goodness, I hope I pay premium price because I want him to hit. We'll see how it plays out over the, the coming months, I guess. But that's been uh, quarterbacks and running backs today. We did tight ends and wide receivers on Thursday's show. And it has been with the great Matt Hicks, who you can follow on Twitter at the FF underscore educator. We did mention it at the end of the show on Thursday, but I'll let you have a chance again to, to let the listeners know where to find you. But I want to start off by saying uh, thanks very much for joining both shows. It's been uh, fantastic. Lots of insights there as well. So thanks a lot, Matt. Yeah, absolutely. You know, thanks for having me on. I, when I got the invite, I was thrilled, you know, to be a part of, uh, to be a part of the show. So I really appreciate that, you know, work it's rookie season. So we're working on the rookie profiles on YouTube and the rookie big board, you know, everything you need to know about the top prospects in the draft, 10 minutes or less episodes on each one of those players. So you can get individual player profiles, uh, deeper breakdowns on many of the players we've talked about over the last two shows. And if you want to get in on some of the rookie rankings, really dig into them. Uh, what I've been talking about, jump into the Discord uh, that we have where we talk about rookie and dynasty and Devi value all year round. I'll direct you to patreon.com slash the FF educator. I have, you know, 85 rookie profiles done and still a couple more to do in this year's draft class. So full breakdowns on all of these guys. And uh, it's just $3 a month to get access to that along with my Devi and dynasty rankings. So again, 
thanks for having me on guys. It was really fun just to chop it up, go through each of the positions. And uh, I'm glad we ended up with some Zamir white talk that, uh, that made my night. <laughs> awesome. Awesome stuff. I want to thank Matt again for coming on. Make sure you are following him on Twitter. If you aren't already, it is at the FF underscore educator. Of course, he mentioned his Patreon account. He mentioned the YouTube and of course his podcast as well. Make sure to check those out as well for that draft content. That is the Rookie Big Board Podcast. Mentioned at the start briefly, but head on over, click the subscribe button on the Road of His YouTube channel. We will be doing some live streams, some drafts, and so on and so forth over there. The link to that is in the notes of today's podcast. We would appreciate growing that audience over there as we grow our podcast community in general. 2022 is shaping up to be a big year for Road of His Overtime, but also for the Road of His Radio Podcast Network. And I am excited for what we have got planned coming up stay tuned for all of that as always you can get yourself a 10 percent discount to a road of his nfl pass you can use the promo code rv radio 2021 at checkout that saves you 10 percent off that road of his pass and gets you access to all of our content and tools you can head on over to rotavis.com forward slash podcast for more information that is going to do it for the third podcast of the week thanks once again to matt hicks for joining us for two of those we had our tuesday show as well and of course sean and ben had those fantastic stealing bananas podcast this week we had all the other good stuff up on the road of his radio network so check out the shows we have lots to keep you going throughout the off season we'll be heading all the way through to the 2022 nfl season we are not taking a break we are not stopping we're going to keep that content coming your way so until we're back next tuesday with another show my name is colin kelly you can follow me on twitter at over to marlin my co-host is sean siegel of course check out sean's work up on rotaviz.com and until we're back have a good one. Thank you for listening to Overtime on Rotoviz Radio. Please rate and review the Rotoviz Radio podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You can contact us via email at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz with a discount through the Rotoviz Radio homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast.